0: Good evening, excuse me, good evening, glad to see each one of you here this evening and as we uh, come together around uh, worshiping through song and coming around God's word this evening to be encouraged and reminded of who our God is, what he's done for us and how we can continue to grow in his grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of that stuff so that you can stay up to speed. Well, let's uh, stand this evening and let's worship the Lion and the Lamb. His name is Jesus.
1: Broken hearts declare His praise. But who can stop the Lord? Will bow before Him. So open up the gates, make way before. Joy.
0: allowing us to come into your presence like this and declare our faith and our trust in you.
2: Lord, that is our
0: prayer this evening. That you are everything that we need. There is nothing else that we want. And we have chosen and we continue to choose to follow you. To turn our back on anything that would be displeasing to you. And focus our attention completely on you. For I have
1: decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning
0: his life he was worshiping and praising God before all the people of Israel and he says this in 1st Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 it says yours O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours yours is the kingdom O Lord and you are exalted as head over all he is more than amazing.
2: You're the one who walked on water,
1: and you call the raging seas. You, you command, command the highest mountains to fall upon their You're the one who welcomes sinners, and you open blinded eyes. You restored the brokenhearted, and you brought the dead to life.
0: Let's sing that again. You're the one who walked on water. You're the one who walked on
1: water, and you calmed the raging sea. You command the highest mountains to fall upon their knees. You're the one who welcomes sinners and you open blinded eyes. You restore the broken-hearted and you brought the dead to life. Beginning all our sins. You remembered all your promises. You are. You're the King who came to serve, and you're the God who washed our feet. You're the one who took our burdens, and you bled upon the cross. In your kindness and your mercy, you became the way for us. Forgetting all our sins. Thank you. Exalted over all, the only Savior, Jesus Messiah, to you alone our praise belongs, Christ exalted over all, one name is high. Stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. The only Savior, Jesus Messiah. To You alone our praise belongs. Christ is all.
2: sing your
1: praise forever and lift your name, we lift your name, Jesus
0: the God that is over and above everything every name that is named you are greater you hold that name the name Jesus that name casts out all fear that name brings hope and so we were reminded that you are our great God. You are majestic. You are awesome. You are the God of all heaven. You are the God of all earth. And we bow our knee to Your name this evening and declare You, Jesus, as Lord, our exalted King. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be
2: seated. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. As we continue our study, working through God's Word and, and this second chapter of, of Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, a lot of doctrine in this chapter. It's an amazing book to be able to dig in. Last week we opened up with Paul's introduction to the church and we learned about God's plan on on how to bless the church and how to bless the people. And I can tell you this as a Christ follower, we are blessed. We are blessed more than we can ever imagine. And we learned about God's work and God's blessing, um, the believers' experience, and ended up with Paul at the end of the chapter praying for the church. And you've got to keep in mind that chapter divisions and verse numbers are not holy and sanctified. This would have been a continuous letter that Paul was writing to the believers there in Ephesus to give them a blessing. And Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He spent over two years there teaching. It It was a long time of him imparting on them the truths of God's word and combating idolatry. And within this, his prayer, he was really praying that the believers would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Charles Spurgeon once said, a, a truth is better caught than taught. And and that's that's the reality. I can stand up and I can expound on this word, but it really needs to sink deep in and get roots. And as we journey through our text tonight, we're going to take a look at Paul's continued thought as a result of his prayer where he changes back. And he's having this conversation on reconciliation. And it's it's a really interesting conversation. When you study Pauline writing, it's he, he's all over the map sometimes. Sometimes he has these really long sentences, and he'll, he'll, he'll just go, and then all of a sudden he'll get excited about something, and he changes, and he starts praising the Lord, and then he goes back to, to some of the doctrine that he wants to teach, and, and all of these things. So he's going to have this discussion with the church of Ephesus, and by extension us, where he's going to lay out and and I want to follow some of his, his train of thought. The Ephesians' past condition, and so as we look at this, put yourself in the mind of the reader, the listener of this letter, as he lays this out, his past condition, what God did, why God did it, and how God reconciles us to himself. And so we're going to go from a condition of where we are as sinners and how we get saved. So Ephesians chapter 2 is probably the best writing, concise writing, on, on how a person is actually saved. The process of salvation, reconciliation. So if you ever wanted to walk somebody through and, and disciple them, or you wanted to give them an understanding of how salvation really works, Ephesians 2 is it. And so we're going to work through it that way. What I'd like to do tonight is I'm going to read through all the way through Ephesians 2 and then I'm going to take it apart and move some verses around because Paul did his kind of scatterbrain writing a little bit. And I'm going to bring them together so that topically that they're all together. So follow along in your Bibles. Hopefully you have them. Um, And in Ephesians 2 beginning with verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh and indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in His mercy, and because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly the Gentiles in the flesh that are called the uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, now remember That you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law and commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is fit together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in his spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. So we look at this and we start out with verses 1 through 3, but then we're also going to jump into 11 and 12 because we really want to start and take a look at the believer's past. Now, I want you to picture in your mind who you were before Christ. Get that in your head. Who was I before Christ, before being saved, before being born again? What kind of person was I? What was my nature? What was my behavior? And the commonality that we all share is, you were all dead. We were all dead. We were dead in sin. Paul starts out in verse 1 very clearly. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Is there any doubt that you were dead? Now, what does that mean to be dead in sin? What does that really look like within this being dead? Well, literally it says, and you being dead by reason of trespass and sin. So you, were, you weren't physically dead, obviously. You were breathing, you had a heartbeat, you had a pulse. But you were spiritually dead. And you were dead to God and, and you were just walking around. Now these words are the same words that are used in verse 5 where he talks about being dead in our transgressions and made alive. And so we look at this and what is he really talking about? Well, in verse 5 he says he makes you alive. So So with that there's this transition that takes place. As you are right now, as a Christ follower, you're alive. You are not who you used to be. But we've got to understand what he means, and, and it's an emphatic statement. It's almost as if Paul was yelling, and you were dead. You were really dead within this. The word is necros, and it's, it's interesting because the way that it's phrased with this emphatic statement, it says you were dead and you were continuing to be dead. So you were like really dead. You were, you were a dead person with no hope of becoming alive. You know, you were just this rotting spiritual corpse and, and with this. And again, this is a spiritual condition, not a physical condition, but God wants to change the spiritual. God wants us to, to become alive. And so there was a process that God had determined, this is how I'm going to redeem, this is how I'm going to reconcile Dead people to myself within this. Now, Paul says, by reason of the trespasses or sins, those are two terms that speak of willful action or willful rebellion against God. It really speaks of the human condition. You were dead because of your sin. Sin separates us from God. Willful actions. And you say, well, I didn't willfully act against God because I didn't know God. You're right. But every action and every thought and every every thought of mind was against God. You didn't acknowledge Him. You didn't know of Him. Now, it's interesting because we were doing a worldview last Sunday night with our next gen group. We were talking about different worldviews. And, and there is one theology, a worldview, that holds to the fact that children are born perfect and they remain perfect until they sin. Question, how long does that take? and so they would they would hold to a concept that a child is born perfect and and they're perfect until they sin well that doesn't fit god's word you're not born perfect you're born in sin you're born as a sinner and so that cute little baby that comes out of the womb is a dirty rotten sinner that baby that is born is spiritually stillborn They're born with a physical body, but spiritually they are born already dead. Spiritually. David would say in Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The seed of sin is all part of natural man. So the, the one thing that we can share with people is this. We all start the same way. We all start... As sinners. And that is, our, that is our common condition. We are, com- we are sinners that are influenced by Satan. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 he says, In which uh, you were walking according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air. People are born dead and they are sinners and they are walking or conducting life in the course of this world. Now there was a fad that went around. It's not as popular now, but it was for quite a while. Where everything was zombies, right? You know, you got the Walking Dead, the Walking Dead Two, Children of the Corn. You got all these other movies and all these other things, and and people are fascinated with them. But you think of, they're really freaky when you think about it. But then I got to thinking about how these, you know, Walking Dead, and that really is the unregenerate person. They're a spiritual zombie. They have no mind of their own. They really have no drive of their own, other than the fact that they're walking around and they're actually being led by Satan. And so as he's talking to these spiritual zombies, they're influenced by the world system in a spiritually dead condition. Now, I want you to think about this in light of the people that are in charge. People that are in government, making rules and all of these other things, and we're being led by All those that are in charge making rules, they're spiritual zombies. They're walking dead. And who's guiding them? Satan. He's the prince of the power of this air. And prior to Christ, Paul would say, in your former condition, verse 2, you were formerly, which means what? What does that imply? You formerly. Which means what? You're not that anymore. You're not a spiritual zombie anymore. But he wants them to think back. One of the things that will help us to value such a great salvation, such great mercy, such great grace, if you realize what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. We should value that. I think so many times as Christians we take for granted such a great salvation because we forget who we were. And what we've been set free from within this. And so Paul's audience are believers, it's the church. And he says this is the former condition, but now you're no longer these spiritual zombies. And in your former condition you were spiritually dead and you were patterned after the course of the world. So let's see, those that are walking around the world as spiritual zombies, they don't know any better because they're led by the devil. And, and the devil is in charge of the world system and drives their flesh. But then the other thing that is interesting is they conduct themselves by the standard of the other spiritual zombies of the world. So they got this mob moving around. And so that's the world that we live in. And so this unregenerate world system is where the believer lives. The spiritually alive. Now... When I study this and when I was looking at it today, I really thought, wow. Wow. If I sit back and really look at this, it starts to explain a lot of what's going on around me. And I, I need to reframe my expectations. And I shouldn't expect a, a, a spiritual zombie to act like somebody who actually has a mind or a conscience. Because they don't. And that's how I used to be. To be able to use people, to act a certain way, to be able to go after whatever I wanted, to be led by my flesh and in my desires, not caring about anybody else, nor caring about God. Within this, one of the realities is this: whatever your worldview is, and I would encourage you to think about your worldview. Whatever your worldview will, is, will be the standard by which you live by. How you see Christ, how you see. The cross, how you see the the redemption, how you see God and all of these things. This Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, or literally the ruler of the air and the ruler over sons of disobedience. You're only in one of two kingdoms. You're either in the kingdom of, of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. You're either being influenced and led by. The devil in the kingdom of this world, or you're in this world, but being led by the kingdom of God and by the Holy Spirit. One of two places. Why is that important for the church of Ephesus? Because they were a small group of believers that was in a massive city that was led by idolatry. Artemis and the worship of Diana and all of the things that are going on within this, Demetrius and the silversmith and all of these things, and he's got to get them to understand you are not those people anymore. You're different. One of the dangers in Christianity today is nominalism. In other words, settling in and compromising and trying to fit in and get along. Let me tell you this. You are not who you used to be, so quit acting like What you used to be. Don't try to fit in the world and be like the world. The realm of this world is led by Satan and notice the sons of disobedience. The standard of secular living is demonic. And we need to recognize it and and not fall back into that. And Satan clearly has authority over this world. If you don't believe me, take a look at, at governments. Take a look at the decisions that are being made, and and you ask yourself, you say, well, how can how can somebody make a decision as such? There's a number of pastors that are going to be meeting down in Salem tomorrow, and they're going to be praying around the Capitol. You know why? Because there's a Senate bill that is go if it goes through, it's going to give schools the opportunity. To change the gender of children without notifying the parents. That is legitimate. That's happening. And so these pastors are going to meet and they're going to pray. I'm going to pray from here. I have a bunch of meetings tomorrow. But I would encourage you to pray. Why? Because we are fighting a battle. Within this. And there are these sons of disobedience that are in the world that are in the, under the domain of Satan and doing his bidding. He is the spiritual influencer to the unregenerate. But before you judge them too harshly, so were you. You were in that realm at one time. And God saved you. You were a son of disobedience, literally a son of unbelief. In the context of rejecting God. And this unregenerate will hold an atheist worldview. As we went through, I think there was 14 different worldviews that we we looked at. But there's really only two. There's the biblical worldview. And then there's the atheist worldview. You're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong. Within that. And we need to understand that, that the atheist worldview is controlled by Satan. Because he drives the spirit of this world. The other thing that we've been saved from is being controlled by our lust. Look at verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3 he says this, Which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air, which is now working the sons of men, among them which formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what were you saved from being controlled by your lust. Being a recovering addict, and I've been sober for a lot of years, I can tell you this, it doesn't take much to draw you back. It's a slippery slope. And the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life will suck you back in. If you're not careful. But as a Christian, we know better. But those that are in the world, the unregenerate, they didn't know any better. They were controlled by their lust. And they are controlled by their lust. It's the primary drive of the unregenerate is this desire of the flesh and the desire of the mind. And, and it's, it results in these trespasses and these sins that separate us from God. Paul's point is that unregenerate people live by lust. What do they lust for? Money, power, fame, getting high. Whatever controls them. And again, it it amazes me how people will do certain drugs. There was lines that I would not cross when I was doing drugs. But it was just a matter of time before I would cross those lines. And God got a hold of my heart before I crossed those lines. But some of the things that people would put into their body today, it it just blows my mind to think about what they would do. And some of the ways that people would live and pursue just for personal pleasure, and they don't know any better because it's got such a hold on them. And Paul says, that is your former condition. But you've been saved from that. So don't go back. But value such a great salvation. You want to keep from backsliding? I'll tell you the way. Value your salvation. And you won't backslide. Value the salvation from who you were and what God's made you to be, and you won't go back. Because you value the salvation greater than what held you. This word for desire <clears throat> literally describes one who is thirsty in the desert, looking for water. And, and they're looking because they're suffering. Psalm 42, 1 says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, God. I used to pant for the things that would bring pleasure. Now, my soul is thirsty for God. We need to allow God's Word to be the thing that drives us, that thirst for the Word of God. Are you thirsty for God's Word? Do you spend time in it? We need to work on that and develop that. Paul says, no, don't have the desires that lead for corruption of the flesh but be filled in the spirit, the desires of the mind. In Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end there is destruction, death. Here's one of my stop gaps. If if I'm doing something and it feels like the right thing to do for me, but I haven't stopped and prayed about it, I haven't talked to my wife about it, which usually is kind of almost equal, God's got a way of talking to her way better than than mine. If it feels right to my flesh, I probably should not do it. Because I'm being driven by my flesh. I need to stop. But what's the end result that happens? Paul says that we're under God's wrath. The sons of disobedient are under the wrath of God. You used to be under the wrath of God. The crazy thing to me is, I didn't know I was under the wrath of God. I had no idea. My life was going to hell in a handbasket, but I didn't realize. I thought it was just the way things went. But it was really God's discipline. Under the wrath, under the judgment of God, everyone who is born dead, led by their flesh, are designated as sons of disobedience because they choose to obey God and under the wrath. That word wrath is an interesting word when you look at Orge. Orge has got this this connotation of snorting, like a snorting bull ready to run you over. There's a, a member of our church here that had a dairy farm, and I used to hunt out uh, on the farm, goose hunt out there. I'd go out and, we'd, and I'd goose hunt. Yeah, and there was a couple of seasons, one in particular, you had this bull. This was the honoriest bull you'd ever seen. It had a nose ring and a chain. And it was an early September season, and I was out, and I was set up my, my decoys. And cows, cows are just dumb. They're just dumb animals. And these cows, and they're inquisitive. And I had all my decoys laid out, and I'm out by a ditch, and I'm waiting there. And then all of a sudden, these cows started coming over, and I'm like, oh, great. They're going to step all over my decoys. Stupid cows. And I get up to move these cows off, and there's that bull. I've been warned about this bull. And he started snorting and pawing the ground. And I thought, I'm going to have to shoot my friend's bull. I got all my decoys up and I skated, and I made sure I had that pack of cows in between me and that. I got out of there as fast as I could. Orge, this word wrath, it it, it has this connotation of this snorting. That God's wrath is like like this snorting bull against the sons of disobedience. And within this, unless these sons of disobedience are born again, they will receive the full wrath of God. And so were you. Before Christ, that was you. Before being saved, that was you. Within this, you would remain in disobedience in that natural order. And Paul says, and all the rest. Meaning, in all of the rest of humanity within that. Adam sinned. And everyone after Adam would follow into that sin nature. And remain in that sin nature. Paul would write in Second Corinthians 5.17... Therefore if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature behold the old things passed away old things passed away behold all things have become new Do you realize today tonight that the wrath of God is not on you Where you sit right now you are in Christ and the wrath of God is not on you Why because all of that wrath was put upon Jesus at the cross. And you say, Well, why is God punishing me? No, God's not punishing you. Why does God hate me? God doesn't hate you. God may be disciplining you, He may be correcting you out of love because you're a child of God, because you're only in one of two camps. You're either a child of God or you're a son of disobedience. One of the two. But we all start out as a son of disobedience, as a child of disobedience, rebellious, until God intervenes. Understand this, when you're witnessing and talking with people, please don't point the finger at them. Have compassion. Because the unregenerate person is who you were. What would you want them to hear? What would you have wanted people to say to you? To coax you? To bring you into the kingdom of God. Paul goes on in verse 11. is where we'll jump a little bit. Down to 11 and 12. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly, again, formerly, you're not now, the Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh in human hands. So within this, at one point you were pagans without God. Now here's the interesting thing that Paul gets into. So, You've got Gentiles and you've got Jews. Could you imagine living in a city where you've got Jews that come to you? And these Jews are supposed to be Christians. And they come to you and they say, hey, look at you know what? I know you're not an idol- idolater anymore. You claim to be a Christian, but you're a Gentile and you're really not a complete Christian until you obey all the laws and get circumcised. Have you ever had somebody make you feel like a second-class Christian? Like you're less than. Somebody comes to you and says, hey brother, welcome to our church. But the next time you come, please put a suit on. Would that, would that, how it makes you feel? Because if you were really holy, you'd wear a suit. If you were really holy, you'd wear purple socks. Or whatever man-made rule people want to come up with. The Jews were saying, if you're really holy, you're going to obey the law. You're going to be circumcised and do all of this. To the Gentiles who were not under the Abrahamic covenant that had no need for it. Now Paul says, not only were you outside of the covenant, but you were made to feel less than human. Because you were uncircumcised pagan. That's horrible. And you think about that. That idea. I was thinking about what that would look like in our world today, and it might be that you were out street witnessing and and came came upon somebody that was a prostitute and say, Hey, look it. You know, you really need to get your life together. Yeah, and 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 being a prostitute is less than human, so. Or the person sleeping on the street underneath a bridge. I know you don't have a regular job in a regular house. You're a little bit less than. Do we ever see people like that sometimes? So these Gentiles were being seen as less than. Yet, Paul says, it didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile and not saved. You're all not saved. You're all unregenerate. But remember... Gentiles in Ephesus, how you were made to feel less than, and you were made to feel separate, and you had these people under these religious activities look down upon you. They would tell you in verse 12 that you were separated from Christ. That not being so much about Jesus, but being about the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Because the Jews would tell the Gentiles, you have no hope because you don't even have a Messiah. You don't even have a decent religion. And so the unreligious people were being put down by the quote unquote religious elite, which still had it wrong. You ever felt like that? Like you were less than? These Gentiles were called godless people, Gentile dogs, because they weren't even in the same class as the Jews. At least the Jews had Yahweh, supposedly, but no. And then Paul says, and remember, in this world you were without hope. At least the Jews had a covenant, but you didn't even have that, and you were made to feel less than. Shame on anybody that makes another person feel less than. Shame on them. Because before Christ, we were all in the same boat. We were all sinking. We've got to realize that we should never put anybody down based on, on any of these things. Prior to faith, Paul wants these Ephesians to understand, this is who you were. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like prior to your conversion within this? Jews did not have an advantage over the Gentiles. They were just as wrong as the Gentiles because they didn't accept Jesus. That was a deplorable state. But God didn't leave them there. God did something. Verses 4-6. through Jump back into it. But, this is one of those good buts in the Bible. But God being rich in His mercy because of His great love... With which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And Paul pops off with this parenthetical statement, by grace you've been saved. Paul sets him up and he says, look at, remember how bad you were and how bad life was and all of these things. But God didn't leave you there. He came to you. He intervened. But God inserted Himself based on His love to man's horrible condition. Can you imagine Feeling love for the very first time, knowing your value for the very first time. It says, But God who was rich in his mercy, Aristotle describes this as God's emotional concern for those who are in calamity and are suffering disaster. God's emotional concern for those who are in calamity and suffering disaster, do you realize the creator of the universe looked at your sad, sorry human condition and came to you and says, I love you. And found you. And says, I want to show an incredible amount of mercy to you. When everybody else makes you feel second class, I love you. And I'm going to change the trajectory of your eternity. Rich in mercy and great in love, God loved us. You think about how great this love is and His mercy. Love is a verb. It's an action. God's love is shown through mercy. Have you experienced the mercy of God? That's God's love in action. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. God coming to you personally, intervening in your life, reaching out to you. In 1 John 4, 8 through 10 says this The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is manifest or made known that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the the atonement for our sins, the the sacrifice for our sins. God's love is not just air. It's action. How many times have you said to your spouse or somebody, "You say I love you, but nothing followed it. Love has got action. And within this, God loved and He showed His great mercy towards you. And how did He show mercy? Well, He not only showed His love to you through His mercy, not giving you what you deserve, but He also liberated you, verse 5. He set you free, made you alive. He took you who was a walking spiritual zombie and changed you and gave you life. Imagine. Imagine that new life that he gives you and it and takes away the sin and the transgression he transforms your state of being 1 Corinthians 15:20 20 to 22 but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep for since by man came death and by a man also the resurrection of the dead for as Adam all die also all in Christ will be made alive we have a member of our church That graduated to be with the Lord last night. Was done. He didn't die. He's experiencing the promise fulfilled. And he shed the body that wasn't working for him anymore. And now he's in the presence of the Lord. That is God's mercy. I remember having a conversation with him months ago he struggled to understand God's love. I can tell you this. He understands it now. He understands it now. Because he's in the presence of the Lord. And all of the doubts. And one of the things he said, how can God ever forgive me? He wrestled with that. How can God ever forgive me? And now he knows how. Imagine what he sees within that. Because Jesus lives, all who are in Christ will also live. This body will go away. Jesus would say to Martha at the death of Lazarus, He says, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Then He asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you realize you are not who you used to be? You are not a spiritual zombie. You are not a son or child of disobedience. But God intervened in your life and said, I love you. And I'm going to show you my love because I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And I'm going to show you my love because I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to show you my love because, as Paul would say, I'm going to lift you up. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places. What is salvation? Salvation, I can tell you, this is not leaving you stuck on this rock. Salvation is not leaving you here to figure things out. He will raise you up within this. Within this, we understand that it's a great salvation. Paul breaks out and he says, by grace we're saved. Saved to what? Saved to a resurrection of eternal life. Question. Do you really want to stay here forever? Does anybody want, any of y'all want to stay here forever? In the body that you're in? No. Good. Right answer. What you have is a promise, you are already in God's mind raised up and seated with Him. The fact is, you just haven't caught up with the reality yet, the spiritual reality. You're already there, but not yet. Still stuck in this body, still stuck on this earth, but we have this promise, a guaranteed promise. Jesus died physically and was raised up, the first fruits of the resurrection, so that we would know what that promise looks like. Unregenerate people do not have that. I do a lot of funerals, a lot, way more than I like to do. And I can tell you the worst funerals I ever do are for people that are not believers, that are unregenerate. You know why? Think about it. Why? Because there is absolutely no hope. Absolutely no hope. That they're done. But for the believer, death is a doorway into the presence of God. In John chapter 5, verses 28-29, Jesus would say, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice, will come forth, and those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. There is going to come a time when God's going to empty the tombs. When God's going to gather everybody together, and if He doesn't take you home, in the process, and you're still alive, and the Lord gathers everybody up at the rapture of the church, you're going to hear a voice. It'll be a good voice. It's one you want to hear. It's Jesus calling, 1 Thessalonians 4:16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Note, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you going to be sad today if a loved one who is a believer dies? Absolutely. But not hopeless. You know why? Because you're going to see them again. You will see them again. When? Whenever God decides to take you there. And you don't know when that is. Or when Jesus comes back to take his church home. When is that going to be? I don't know. Now would be a good time after my granddaughter's born. That's okay. I'll see her there anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? We shouldn't mourn as those who have no hope. The church of Thessalonica were mourning because they thought the rapture came and they missed it. And they didn't. Already, not yet. God intervenes. So the question is then, why did God intervene? Why did God show His grace? If you were a walking spiritual zombie for so long... But God intervened and provided a way to save you. Can I ask the question, why? Why would He do such a thing? We see it here in verse 7. Look at verse 7. So that, that's called a henna clause. It's a purpose clause. So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. If you ever want to know why? You want to know why? God is showing His love through His mercy to save you, to redeem you, to bring you alive, to make you His trophy. You are God's trophy. It says, so that He might display you as a trophy of His grace. The purpose of God showing His grace is so that He can demonstrate what love looks like and through His mercy. To whom? To all created beings, human and angelic, the unregenerate and demons. I often think about this and I go, okay, God, what are you really trying to prove? You're trying to prove and show how great your love is through mercy. And then those that will see it, that missed it, that rejected you, they're gonna, that's going to be part of hell. Do you realize part of hell is realizing that you could have had this and you didn't take it? Part of hell is going to spend all eternity going, when, when when that guy or that gal witnessed to me and I blew them off, and now I'm here for all eternity, And I'm going to see the mercy of God demonstrated towards these people that were my friends and my family and they accept him. But I blew it off. You know the one that I think is really going to be frustrated when he sees us as trophies of God? Satan. He's the one that really started this whole mess of rebellion when he thought, I'll be like the Most High God. You are God's trophy of mercy and victory to angels, demons, everything, all creation, which results in God's glory. In this cosmic conflict that is going on in principalities and powers that we can't even see, get this, your salvation and regeneration is a constant reminder to Satan that he lost. He's already lost. And every time a person gets saved, he's like, wow. Oh, lost again. Lost again. Lost again. Why do you think he works so hard to take so many people down and destroy the very thing that God loves? It reminds Satan of his defeat and his destiny. Get this the actions of God. And his love towards us in Christ to make us alive, has raised us from the dead, and not just there, seated us in the heavenlies with Christ to demonstrate how great his love is. I want you to hear these words in this picture. Close your mind or close your eyes and open your mind. Listen to this and try to picture what this might look like. It's in Revelation chapter five, verses eleven to fourteen. And this would be John, the apostle, who's writing this from a vision. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, imagine the size of that choir, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessed and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Why? Because all of God's trophies are gathered in one place. And that worship session is going to be amazing. You're going to realize how vast, how great, how high, how indescribable The love of God is towards you as you are one of the myriads upon myriads upon myriads upon myriads at the throne of God. And you're going to be going, I am not worthy to be here, but He is worthy for praise because He saved me from all of that. What a great salvation. So how does it work? Passages that you're very familiar with. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and also verse 13. Salvation is based on grace alone through faith, not of works. Paul started this, this action of grace and, and now he's going to explain what grace is. Grace. Grace is the means of salvation. Grace is the, is, is the instrument of salvation. Y'all got here hopefully in a car. Your car brought you from your home to here or from wherever. Your car was the instrument by which you arrived. Grace is the instrument by which you are saved. God's grace. It's an unmerited gift that God gives to you. It's this means. This instrument. It's interesting because that word saved there, in its context, is in the what's called the perfect tense. You say, Carrie... My head's hurting already. Don't give me Greek. I, I want you to understand this. For by grace you are saved. Perfect tense. That means it's an action that took place with an ongoing result. You are saved and you will always be saved. That salvation starts. That's what that word means. For by grace you have been saved and you will always be saved because once you are saved, that salvation has an ongoing result. What does that mean? That means you will never lose your salvation. That means that your eternity is secure within that. It is a completed action in God's mind. It's a condition that never changes in the future. He says, for by grace, the means you are saved through faith... Faith is never seen as a work. But again, it's another. It's called an instrument of cause. Faith is not a work. You're not automatically saved. Get this. And this might be a mind blower for you. Just because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world does not make you automatically saved. This is not universalism. Just because you acknowledge the existence of Jesus does not mean that you're saved. You are saved by grace through faith, or the instrument of cause. Your faith is in the provision of Jesus' death for your sins. God provided Jesus to die for your sins. He's the provision. So you're putting your trust in God's provision. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you ask somebody, say, do you know who Jesus is? They say, I know who Jesus is. Is that saving faith? No, that's just acknowledgment. Who is Jesus to you? That's the right question. What do you What do you know about Jesus? What do you believe in Jesus? This faith in Jesus is God's provision of salvation, and you need to understand that it's by your trust in Him. It's not a work, but it's a it's a provision acceptance. It's a provision of acceptance. God says. Here is the remedy for your sin. Receive it. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't create it. You put your trust in it. And that trust is in Jesus. It's a grace gift. In 2 Timothy one nine says this, Who has saved us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So what is it? Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. He did everything that needed to be done to fulfill the requirements of the law. And I put my trust in Him that He did that on my behalf. It was God's only provision for our salvation. And it's a grace gift, an unmerited favor. And I can't brag about a gift, can I? No, I, I can only receive it within that. And so God is that source of the salvation, as you would say. Verse 13, jump down to that. It says, through the blood. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is another but now. And it's in contrast to those that were far off. So, back to the earlier illustration. You feel like you are lower than dirt, less than less, second class, far off, never having hope. And God says... I'm going to provide for you a gift. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to intervene in your life. And I am going to draw because I love you. I'm going to draw you in. And the blood of my son is going to bring you from afar off and make it to where that you are saved. You've been brought near, note by the blood of Jesus. Why is that important? Because the Gentiles were told by the Jews that they were second class. They'd always be second class. And Paul says, no, there's no difference. We're brought in unity. We're all saved the same way. In First 1 John 1, 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. It's interesting because that, again, is in a perfect tense. It means it cleanses and continues to cleanse and atones and continues to atone, Romans three twenty-three to 25 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. To this was demonstrated His righteousness because the forbearance of God had passed over the sins previously. The blood of Jesus unifies everybody. Okay, Kerry, what does that mean? The same blood that was shed on the cross for your sin is the same blood that was shed on the cross for my sin and we are equal. We are all equally wretched and then we are all equally saved by a grace gift that God gave to us as He showed His love through the instrument of mercy and through the instrument of grace. How do I share that with somebody? Where are you at now? Do you know God? Do you know love? Do you know love? Do you want to know love? Do you want to know the most incredible love that you could ever experience in acceptance? God wants to show that to you. Jeremiah, you want to go take care of that for me? Marla will do it. She's packing the heat. For those of you that are watching online, the devil's trying to get in. Or a raven. Edgar Allan Poe, I think, is on his way. Well, it takes us to where we're at. So where are we at now? We are the product of God's grace. Do you realize not only are you a trophy, but you are the product of God's grace? If you look at verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, so that, there's that henna clause, purpose clause, so that we would walk in them. What does he mean? You are a product of God's grace. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are saved, and it's amazing because I love this word. It's one of my favorite words in in the New Testament, this word for workman, poema. It means you are crafted by God. It's a word that was used to describe the making of a crown. You are a crown that God has created to display his, His glory. You are His workmanship, His handiwork within this. You are God's crowning work of grace. You are the most valuable creation that God has ever made. You are the most beautiful, magnificent work that God could ever display. And He holds you at that high honor. See, so, okay, I don't feel like that. You are. And you can claim that privilege and that promise. You are God's workmanship and you were planned before the foundations of the world and God has good works planned for you planned before the foundations of the world so that you can walk in them. And you say, well, Carrie, how does that work? And I'll tell you, I don't know. Doesn't matter? Nope. Because I'm here. Because God took me from where I was. Intervened in my life showed me love and now made me his crowning glory so that I can display his glory to everyone that's around those are those works not the good works of the old nature but the new works not the evil works of the past and then lastly Paul says this to these gentiles who were felt like they were second class so then you are no longer strangers or aliens But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are in God's household. If you ever felt like you didn't belong, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God says not only do you belong, but you are equal to every saint and every child of God within the fellowship and the family of God. Why? Because God's the reconciler. He says that Christ destroyed the barrier. In the Jewish culture, in the temple, there were two sections. There was the court of the Gentiles and there was the court of the Jews. And there was a wall that went in between them. And there was a sign that said, no Gentile should go past this wall, this gate, in danger of their life. And if you remember when we studied Paul, they arrested Paul and accused him of taking a Gentile into that court. And were ready to put him to death. And Paul says, no, Jesus tore down that wall and there is no separation. We're all the same, equal. We all have the same value, highly valued. We are all special and we can all worship together. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, rich or poor, free or slave, male or female. It doesn't matter because God sees you all valuable, joined in one body, one new person. In Christ Jesus. That's how grace works. There is not one person in this room watching online or in the world ever that got more grace or less grace. That's loved more or loved less by God. Because God's love is limitless. God's mercy endures forever for everyone. And as Paul would say, we are those people of God, a new nation in God's household, built on the pillars of the church. What are the pillars of the church? They're the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, the words of the prophet, and the word of God. Why? Because Jesus is the cornerstone. Do you realize being built into this living temple, we're not in a building anymore, we're together, that we are part of Christ and Christ is part of us. That's an amazing thing to think about. Think about. Where were you when you were lost? Desolate. A spiritual zombie. Do you remember that time? And know that you're not that person anymore because God has saved you. So instead of walking according to those old ways, walk in the Spirit. Walk in Christ and be that crowning jewel, that that glory, that trophy. So that everyone will see your good works and glorify your Father that's in heaven. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for tonight. I thank you that we can come and we can worship you. Lord, I know that so many times we start listening to the lies of Satan. We start listening to all of the things of this world and the prince of the power of the earth will confuse our mind, confuse our thoughts, and get us to a place we get so spun up, we start questioning You. God, You have saved us with a salvation that is eternal. You've promised us hope in Your presence. You've given us love unconditional, that we can walk in this and, and we can accept it. We are not who we were. We have yet to become who You want us to be. But the reality is we are already children of God, sitting at the throne room of the Holy King and worshiping Him. We worship You. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.
0: Amen. And praise Jesus. Go walk in God's grace the rest of this week.
2: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56 523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.